Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. You know that feeling when you think you're going to be marginalized or you feeling that you have been marginalized? Well, for anybody who's experienced it, it's not any fun. And it also comes with this fear that you're losing your base of power. Now, it happens to lots of people for a variety of reasons, for different ages, on all ends of the spectrum, for different genders, for different ethnicities, and sometimes even for just different backgrounds and training. So what I want to talk about today is what can you do if you're feeling marginalized or being afraid that you're going to be marginalized. And I also want to talk about what you do to minimize people feeling marginalized under your leadership. So like what's your responsibility as a leader here? And then we want to focus also at the very end a little bit about the impact of age and ageism, something we often don't talk about. But I have to tell you, my clients and friends over 50 are very worried about it, even if they're not willing to say it out loud. So my guest today is Bonnie Marcus. Bonnie has served as CEO of a service master company, and she's been VP of sales at a medical staffing network. She's the author of The Power, The Politics of Promotion, excuse me, and she's also co-author of Lost Leaders in the Pipeline, Capitalizing on Women's Ambition to Offset the Future Leadership Shortage. She's currently writing another book um, on over 50 women in the workplace, which I think is an exciting venture. We'll come back to that one. Bonnie's a certified executive coach and has been honored by global gurus since 2015 as one of the world's top 30 coaches. She's recognized as one of the top 100 keynote speakers, and she's spoken at a host of places, including 3M, Boston Scientific, Oliver Wyman, Prudential, Bayer, Accenture, GoDaddy, Credit Suisse, City, HSBC, Barclays, Johnson & Johnson, Heineken, the World Bank, and I could go on. That's a limited list. Bonnie also contributes to Forbes and has been published in the Chicago Tribune, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, HR.com, and we could go on from there. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Wanda, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I have to tell you, your list of accolades are one to envy in this world. You know, being a list of the global global gurus for the last five years is pretty impressive. Good for you. So, well, thank you. You know, um, it's really nice to have somebody else kind of recite them because <laughs> we often lose sight of some of our accomplishments or we easily dismiss them. Yes, I I have recognized that in other people as well. All right, so I know that you've been recently focusing on this whole issue of age discrimination, and particularly for women, but I want to talk about marginalization in general first. So I want to start with that general feeling, and maybe you feel it or maybe you're afraid it's going to happen. That can apply to absolutely anyone, and that's that feeling of being marginalized or that fear that you're going to be marginalized. What are you hearing from people? about how this feels and how does it impact us from well-being, self-image, confidence, the whole nine yards? Well, um, so that's a powerful question to start the conversation yes. with. Um, when, you, when you're marginalized, you feel like uh, you, you don't count, 
that any of your opinions don't matter, um, that your work and your contribution doesn't matter, um, and basically that affects your, definitely affects your self-confidence. If you feel that other people don't think well of you, um, then in turn it's going to affect how you, how you feel about yourself. Um, it's going to affect how you then um, show up in the workplace every day. So, it, you know, in some ways, it, it's a bit of a vicious circle because in the workplace, we can feel marginalized by different situations, um, different people who may cut us off or talk over us in meetings, you know, take credit for our ideas, um, passed over for a, a special project or um, a promotion even, and we feel like people just don't get, you know, kind of what we bring to the table. That's one part of it. But I think what's maybe even more important, Wanda, is is how we may marginalize ourselves and keep ourselves small. And that's certainly something that, that we can control. And that has everything to do with what kind of um, assumptions we're making about ourselves, about ourselves, you know, what we believe about ourselves, what's, what's the story we're telling about ourselves that, that really keep us small and, and marginalize us. And then, of course, if we believe, you know, that, say, we're, we're not uh, promotable or we're not as smart and we can't compete, then we're going to show up in the workplace in a way that's going to sabotage our success, you know. We're not going to raise our hand. We're not going to volunteer our opinions. We're not going to volunteer for special projects. And we're not going to be visible, so it's it's kind of this vicious circle where, yeah, there may be things in our workplace situations that will marginalize us. If we come to believe that ourselves, then we're also going to hold ourselves back. Okay. There's a lot in that one that I want to follow up on. So this may take me about four passes to get through all of this one. So this notion of feeling marginalized, and you gave a list of actions that happen, sometimes with intention and sometimes just flat out accidentally, where somebody else takes credit for the work, where we were passed over for a particular project, somebody else was put on it, where an idea we said in a meeting was dismissed or discounted, and where we feel we've talked over. If I just take that... Well, that happens a lot in the average large corporation. Um, is there something that, what do we do about those? How do we respond when we feel like some of those things have happened to us? Do you have advice? Well, let me give you an example. I just had a coaching client this morning who's a chief operating officer of, of a company. And um, the board chair issued his strategic plan for 2020, and he highlighted the team, and he said, well, the admin people are, and he mentioned her name, okay? That marginalized her. That triggered her because Mm -hmm. she felt like, well, you know, am I just admin? I mean, I thought I was chief operating officer. So what I said to her is, you have a choice. 
right? You First of all, recognize this, that this triggers your whole insecurity about you in this role, number one. Um, but number two, you, you can recognize that you can kind of go down that rabbit hole and say, yeah, you know, I'm not qualified to be here, you know, I'm not good enough to be COO, and really absorb it. Or you can say, well, I recognize that this triggered me, and I don't need to go there. You know, um, I know the value I contribute to this organization, and I I can own that. I own my talent and just kind of push that marginalization, you know, aside, regardless of whether that was his intent or not. She took it on, and um, she felt that it marginalized her. So I think we do, we have a choice in 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 many ways, we have many choices, but we can go down uh, uh, the rabbit hole, which will then sabotage us. Uh, it will sabotage ourselves, or we can take a more empowered choice, which is, okay, I'm not going to let this really um, knock me down. Okay. Okay. Now, do you ever advocate that she goes back and says to the chair, of the board, hey, you know, I didn't like that. I mean, is there, when yeah, is there a I mean, place for confrontation? Would, not in this particular situation, um, but yes, in in a lot of situations I have coached my clients to, to have those conversations. Um, you know, when they feel any kind of microaggression or marginalization, depends on the culture of the organization. It depends on who made the comment and what your mm-hmm. relationship is with that person. So say it's a colleague or it's your manager that you have a, a good relationship with, then I would encourage you to say, um, have a conversation where you let them know how, how that made you feel. Right, not in an accusatory, aggressive way, but um, I felt marginalized, or I felt that that kind, that title of admin didn't necessarily fit, or I felt when you said that, that um, you know, it it kind of made me feel X, Y, Z. And I think those conversations are important. You know, if it's a situation where it's highly charged and and um, not welcoming of that type of conversation, then I wouldn't I wouldn't advise it. Maybe you you know if it's really critical and really pretty um, pretty bad situation that you should probably maybe go to HR to resolve okay. it. Okay. So it's, again, as you said, it's a choice. I have a choice of how I respond to the comment, including whether I say nothing, whether I go down that trap and make myself feel awful, or whether I choose to ignore it and whether I choose to say anything about it. All of those are choices. But I think it's interesting to note how much a comment triggers us. And I certainly see this a lot. I see a lot of people say, someone's always talking over me in meetings and they're never talking over anybody else. 
Yet if I go and talk to everybody else in that meeting, they say, oh, yeah, I feel talked over all the time. It's just how the team goes. So it's interesting what we choose to take on board about ourselves. Yeah, and what we absorb personally. So getting back to my client this morning, when she read that, she took it personally. Mm -hmm. You know, she took it on as her own until I helped her see uh, that she had a choice, (laughs) you know, of of not letting that sabotage her and and trigger her in that way. But I think we need to recognize, Wanda, the types of things that do trigger us. Yeah, yeah. And very often I'll do that with my clients, you know, particularly if they have issues around um, feeling insecure, they have some self-doubt, et cetera. Well, what, what triggers that in the workplace? What kind of a situation? What kind of a comment? Is it a particular person that might trigger that? And to really better understand um, what what that is triggering in us, and how we can how we can counter that. Great, great. Jim Tam, who's been a guest on this show and will be a guest on the show again in the next month, is um, talks about this in terms of collaboration. He talks about it in terms of FIRO theory and our own defensive mechanisms. And he says, anytime we're trying to do something where we're not really a well-grounded expert in that thing, that we're at risk then for what he calls defensiveness, which is basically triggers. We can get easily triggered. And that it's when we're doing something we know we know really well inside and out, we don't tend to be as easily triggered by in those cases. I mean, we're all suspect to it. It just depends upon how experienced we are, how intense the triggering is. Okay. I want to come back to something else you said, because you were talking about the sort of vicious cycle that occurs when these comments, intentional or otherwise, get made or actions get taken. And you said that there are ways in which we marginalize ourselves, that we keep ourselves small. And that's really about the assumptions we make about ourselves and the story we tell ourselves. Explain what you mean by the story we tell ourselves. Well, we all have a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves, and chances are we're not really aware of it, but it really guides the way that we show up in the world, the way we present ourselves, especially in the workplace. So it's important to identify what that is, and I will ask my clients to unplug, put their feet up, maybe pour a glass of wine if they need to, however way, you know, they will feel comfortable and safe and connected to what their truth is. And Mm -hmm. as they start to write this story, they often realize that the story that they're currently telling themselves about themselves does not serve them. Mm. In fact, it probably sabotages them. So, for instance, you know, that I'm um, I'm not going to get promoted um, as a woman, or I'm too old to get promoted. I'm not smart enough to be COO, you know, and somebody's going to find that out. 
I'm um, too young. I'm too old. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not tall enough. I mean, you'd be surprised what some of these stories are, but words really matter. And we come to believe these words as our truth. So writing out the story and then saying, well, does this story serve me? And if it's not serving me, I do have the choice to rewrite this story in a more positive way. And it's so powerful um, to rewrite that story and reframe it and then, and, you know, live it. Because mm-hmm. our human nature is that whatever we really believe, we look for validation that that's true every day. So if we believe that we're not smart enough to compete in the workplace, for instance, we will look for evidence that that belief is true every single day. Oh, you know, I raised my hand, nobody called on me in that meeting. Or somebody rolled their eyes when I made a comment. Or I was passed over for that particular project. That must mean they know that, you know, I'm not smart enough. We look for validation. When we rewrite the story in a positive way, and then start to look for validation that that's true, then that strengthens that new story. And that's where we need to focus our our energy. Okay, I love it. I see this every day in the clients that I work with. And believe it or not, at every level in the organization, you are not Mm -hmm. exempt from this as a CEO. uh, Trust me. But I'm fascinated because some people can see the story quickly and figure out how they've written it that way and rewrite it quickly. And they, they sort of become a good agent on their own behalf. And other people just seem not to be able to get on with writing it differently. They keep getting back in the trap. So how do you help people, A, recognize what's really rolling in the back of their head you know, and write the truth on as you're writing this down. And two, is there a secret for reframing it, for seeing it differently? I guess maybe what I need, Bonnie, is an example. An example of a story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can give you an example, and, you know, I'm going to paraphrase this, obviously. But a client of mine, um, actually from Zurich, wrote a story about how um, she, nobody feels that she has any value, that her, um, basically that, you know, nobody pays much attention to her at work, that her relationships are suffering, that she's old and she's tired and she, she can't sleep, that she's fat, um, and, oh, gosh, you know, I can't remember the rest of the story. Well, you know, so truth be told here, Wanda, <laughs> yeah. this woman is 38, okay, oh my and very attractive and, um, and, and, and very smart, but she, this story was not serving her. Right. Um, she couldn't see beyond the fact that um, she was kind of destined to fail in the workplace. It, it was it was really a, a victim mentality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you you're looking for um, how to change that, 
there's something really, really enlightening and powerful when you read this story um, and you say, well, no wonder, no, that's not serving me. You know, it, 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 it's almost like you need to go to that dark place to flip the switch. Okay. Does, okay. does that make sense? It does make sense. So she... So she rewrote the story, and she she rewrote it about how you know the value she brings to the organization, and how um, you know she she is uh, thriving in the workplace and and has successful relationships in work and at home. You know, I can't remember the exact story she wrote, but that was powerful. And mm-hmm. then to look for validation that that new story is true and becomes your truth yeah. is a way to reinforce it going forward. So, Bunny, I can see why rewriting the story and looking for a validation of the elements of that story would be a really helpful thing. Presumably, though, you don't just write any grandiose statement. It has to be some sense of realism in there. You're just reframing it in a more positive as opposed to what's all wrong. You're reframing it in terms of what's right. Did I get that straight? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk for a moment about... um, So we've talked a bit about what you can do if you're feeling marginalized and about how you have a choice to accept those messages and to recognize the triggers and how you can rewrite your own story. What do I do to make sure I'm not actually marginalized? Are there actions I can take? Yeah. Um, So I think the first thing is to recognize uh, the situation and that you are being marginalized and how how that's happening certainly mm-hmm. um or and how you are letting that happen probably most importantly mm-hmm. um in the workplace specifically in order to really protect yourself from being marginalized i would say number 1 is to declare your ambition Okay. Let people know that you are um, committed and dedicated, and that you um, will you you hope to um, continue to add value to your organization, and perhaps even move your career forward. But I don't say I think we believe that. Um, I think that's taken for granted, mm-hmm. and kind of restating your your commitment to your work um, is important. And this is, uh, I know we're not talking about ageism now, but it's particularly important, uh, you know, over 45, 50 in the workplace because of the assumptions that, oh, maybe I want to slow down, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, build a a strong internal and external network. Okay. Uh, people who can perhaps be your allies and champions, uh, who know about the value you bring to the organization, and who can really advocate for you when you're not at the table or not in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, really, that you know, really important to have that strong kind of network. Um, mentor, offer to mentor others 
and as well as finding a mentor. But the reason why offering to mentor is important is that's where you are building a strong relationship with people and uh, really offering a lot of value mm-hmm. so that people will be, you know, will recognize that. You'll have much more credibility and visibility as you continue to mentor others in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and going along with that is learning how to advocate for yourself as well as for others. And learning how to advocate for yourself in um, a in an effective way that doesn't include, you know, bragging. <laughs> Other ways yeah. would be to raise your hand, to share your ideas, um, to avoid situations where you are compromising yourself or playing small. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the exercises I often do with my with my female clients is to keep track of different ways that you are giving your power away. Mm-hmm. You know, almost keep like a running diary of different situations or perhaps it's with different people where you play smaller and and recognize what those situations are and uh, work to change that dynamics, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm like, again, I could talk about a paragraph of each one of those is really powerful. Yeah. I'm going to come back to the one that you started at the very beginning, this notion of declaring ambition. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times people take that for granted, that the rest of the world knows what's in your head. And to me, I'm looking at the situation saying, well, it isn't obvious. And I'll give you an example. A young woman, ambitious in her career, just just this week, I was just talking to her, and she's had a tiny little bit of a setback. You know, some personal factors involved. I won't give the details on this one. But she's back at work, back fully engaged, and she has not said to her manager, I'm back, I'm fully engaged, I'm committed, you know, I'm on a promotion list, let's go, let's make it happen. Just to say that, um, you know, having been out for... I mean, I can give you an example from my book, The Politics of Promotion. Um, One of the women I interviewed for the book, a young woman in her 30s, worked for one of the large um, consulting firms, and she um, had a baby. Mm -hmm. And she took the minimal amount of time off Mm -hmm. for maternity leave, right? Um, Had made all the um, arrangements so that her baby was taken care of, she could go back to work with confidence. And when she got back to work, she noticed, wow, I'm not on the same... I don't have the same clients. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have the same type of work. Uh, so she took it upon herself, which was good, to go to HR and say, I don't know what happened. You know, I came back and I'm all prepared to work hard. And I don't know, I don't, I lost my clients and things have changed. And the HR manager said to her, well, we assumed mm-hmm. that you didn't want to work that hard. You know, that you have a baby at home that you didn't want to travel. So we took you off certain clients, you know. 
so there's a case also where a young woman needs to kind of redeclare mm-hmm. her ambition that she's she's ready to go. She's done, you know, the necessary planning and strategies and how how to uh, have that kind of support that she needed to be present in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would just make that assumption, right? That. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, I'm back and not even go to HR, not even say anything, like, why is this happening? But there are times in our life, like the milestone you talked about, or with this particular woman, where, yeah, we need to redeclare it. It's not, people don't necessarily know it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't change my mindset about ambition because I had a baby. You know, I'm yeah. still here. Yeah. Or a health scare, or I got married, or which can apply to men and women. There's a whole host of things mm-hmm. that apply both across genders. It's not just a, a single gender issue. Yeah, I think it's hugely important because I think it's too easy to make assumptions about what people are ready for and want to do. And including this young woman Absolutely. that I was talking to, people had taken her clients away. Okay, or some of her clients away. She'd gotten some of them back. Okay, fine. And she was a little stressed about it. And I, I finally said to her, were all those clients really worth it? I mean, maybe you do need to get rid of some of them. Maybe they were a waste of time. How about you fight for the five that were really worth it? And let somebody else have a go with those others that are not generating a lot of return on the effort. It's just a matter of getting out of that space that says, I can't or I shouldn't or I can't allow myself into a space that says, no, I need to declare. I need to reach out. I need to make my own destiny in this one, if you will. Yeah, and what comes to mind as you were speaking just now is um, being strategic, right, Um, and prioritizing. You know, all that stuff is so empowering, and very often we're so stuck in the doer trap that we don't realize that... we're not serving ourselves for the, for the better of our company or, you know, our own well-being. We need to kind of take charge of our career trajectory, no matter at what point we are in our career, and look at it a little more strategically about really what am I accomplishing and how can I leverage these accomplishments and how can I take more control over my time and my productivity to make this all happen. Right. Okay, Bonnie, this is a perfect place to take a break. Um, With me today is Bonnie Marcus, and we've been talking about how not to get yourself marginalized and what to do if you're feeling marginalized. Recognize that both happen. Big headline story here is recognize what triggers you, what sends you down a rabbit hole, and make a choice on what to do about it, whether to go there or not go there, whether to say something or not to say something. And then to keep yourself from being marginalized, there's I have a list of seven things here. Declare your ambition. Make sure you have a strong internal and external network. People can advocate for you. Mentor others. And of course, you have your own mentor. Learn how to advocate for yourself and others. Raise your hand, share your ideas, avoid um, situations that make you feel small or which you're compromising yourself and the ways in which you give your power away. So when we come back from this break, I want to talk in particular about the ways that we give our power away and how we reclaim that power. We'll be right back. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Bonnie Marcus, and Bonnie is a certified executive coach. She's been on the Global Gurus top list since 2015 as one of the world's top 30 coaches, and she's recognized as the top 100 keynote speakers. She has a book called The Politics of Promotion and a co-author of The Lost Leaders in the Pipeline and a new book coming out shortly. But we've been talking about this whole challenge of feeling marginalized and how not to be marginalized. And we just ran through a whole list of things that you can do to protect yourself from being marginalized, including declaring your ambition, even when you think it should be obvious. But one of the things, Bonnie, you said at the very end is the ways in which we give our power away. And I'm fascinated by this on multiple fronts. First, how you know, we think about power as I have power because of hierarchy, but I actually think there's greater power for other reasons. So how do you help people understand the base of power that they actually have? Okay, well, a a couple of comments I'd like to make. Um, You're right. We often think that uh, there's a hierarchy involved, and and there is, right? If you, you look at the organizational chart, in a company, and you'll see, you know, the the hierarchy is is obvious, and we make assumptions that those are the people who have the most power in the organization, and it's not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, in my book, I talk about um, looking under the covers and really identifying who has the power and influence beyond the organizational chart. So when you start to th- look for people who have a lot that influence, 
power. Yay. And it's not necessarily because of their title or their position in a company, but it's how they um, how they sell ideas and initiatives across the con- con- company. Um, the the strength of the relationships that they have, and perhaps how they leverage those relationships, how they leverage their work. Um, so it's important to. To note that you you may be elected to office, you may be promoted to a position, and people will assume that you have that power that comes with it. But unless you own it, <laughs> um, it's very quickly going to dissipate. Uh, yeah. Over time, people will realize that, that you really don't have it because you haven't um, you haven't really owned it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that's Im- important to note is that you can have power in an organization and not be in the C-suite. And mm-hmm. it's important to also align yourself, if you are ambitious, with people who do have power and influence to help you, you know, move your move your career forward. They should definitely be in in your network. Um Owning the power, uh, owning who you are, your talent, um, is really the most important thing that you can do as as a leader, and that is the relationship you have with yourself. So to be a leader, of course, you need um, two types of relationships. You need to build relationships with others, you know, to have that influence, to have the strength of those connections and allies and champions, etc. But it all really begins with the relationship that you have with yourself. Knowing who you are, not... Um, not being so externally focused that we are uh, looking for what everybody else does and how everybody else um, excels at certain things, and we use that to then diminish ourselves. Mm-hmm. When you're grounded in the value that you bring and you own who you are, um, that really positions you to uh, present yourself in the workplace as somebody who um, has a great contribution to offer. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. Yeah. I see people responding to this every day in every organization that I go in, and I see it on two ends of the spectrum. On the one, people who are constantly comparing themselves to somebody else. Someone got a higher rating. Somebody got a promotion faster than I did. Somebody made that same level in half my time. You know, all over the board where you're on validation. Is somebody else, not anything about yourself. And on the other yeah. end of the spectrum, I see people that everyone enjoys being around. They're fun. They're energizing. They're good, solid colleagues, and they just add energy to the room. And often we use the word authentic to describe them. But what I think comes down to absolutely at the end of the day is they have a really good sense of who they are. They know what they're yeah. good at. 
And they don't have to be good at everything either, by the way. And that sense of just who they are is kind of what fills the room. And boy, does it add excitement and energy and followership, for that matter, far more than anything else I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think you'll find, you know, you'll probably agree with me, there are a great many people who have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Really, who they really are. I mean, they are so externally focused. They're always comparing themselves to others and coming up short um, because of it. And social media, of course, just facilitates all of that. Um, And so they are subject to a lot of marginalization, um, you know, where they... They give their power away. They compromise themselves. They, you know, modify themselves to please others. They're always looking to please others. They just don't, they're not grounded in really what they, what they bring to the table. And, um, in my book, The Politics of Promotion, there is a whole chapter on how to identify what your value proposition is. Uh, that is, you know, how your work contributes to positive business outcomes. And that's all about, you know, owning your talent and knowing how you can best help your manager, your team, your organization reach their objectives, how you can be in service to others based on who you are and how you do the work. So important. Okay. Okay, I can see this one. So this is in your book, The Politics of Promotion, um, and Mm -hmm. there's a chapter there that would help people go through and understand what is your value proposition, something I think we need to spend a whole lot more time on uh, with individuals and with ourselves as well along the way. Okay, let's shift the tables then, Bonnie, because we could keep talking about that one forever as well. And I want to talk talk about something that I know you have been become fairly passionate about lately, and that's the double whammy of gender and age. So how are you hearing this from your clients? Well, um, this comes under the umbrella of marginalization. Um, what I've heard from my clients uh, over 50, my female clients over 50, is that they are sidelined, they're marginalized, that nobody seeks out their opinion anymore, um, regardless of their track record of great performance. Uh, they're often, their, their workload is often redistributed. They don't have the clients that they used to, the high-profile clients that they used to. Um, and sometimes they're even pushed out the door. They're fired. Um, and then finding another job when you're over 50 is, is not, you know, it's a great, great challenge. So um, I have been hearing this from, from a lot of women. Of course, I've been doing a, a, a lot of interviews um, as well of women who um, are subjected to a different type of uh, treatment in the workplace, a lack of respect for what they have contributed for, you know, for their experience, for their Mm -hmm. wisdom, um, and, and being sidelined because 
they're of a certain age. And in our society that worships youth and beauty, um, you know, this, our, our workplaces reflect those values, those those assumptions that you need to be young and beautiful to to be successful. Some of the research that I've done around this topic, Wanda, is really troubling. It's that uh, as women show visible signs of aging, they're actually viewed as less competent. Mm. Let that sink in for a while. So um, women are actually subjected to ageism earlier than men, Um, and they are subjected to it because of the emphasis on being young and pretty. And uh, so I've talked to clients and I've interviewed a lot of women for this upcoming book who feel the pressure to stay youthful and, Mm -hmm. you know, in an external way. Right? Um, Botox and fillers and just, you know, I talked to one woman who's 62 who has panic attacks, you know, in the middle of the night that she's going to get fired and people are going to find out her age. And and so she does all kinds of things to help her look look younger. And um, it's that pressure and that fear that we're not going to be able to continue to work when perhaps we even need to continue to work, and a lot of the women I've spoken to do. You know, there used to be, uh, what, you'd you'd retire at 55 or 60, even 65, but the largest growing demographic in the workplace that's projected is um, women over 65. You know, by by the year 2024, it's it's going to be almost 44 percent of the overall workforce. Mm. It's going to be women over 65. Wow! Wow! 44 percent of the workforce. Presumably, that's a U.S. statistic, or is that a global number? That's um, that's U.S. Bureau of Labor. Yeah. Wow. So but, much for you know, talking about millennials. We have to talk about women over 65. I love that. 44% of the workplace. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's this whole thing around OK Boomer now, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're aware of, mm-hmm. which, you know, talk about marginalizing and talk about a put down. Um, there's this... Uh, big barrier now in in the workplace about uh, between boomers and and millennials. And, um, you know, it it doesn't serve the organization to keep that that huge gap in any way that a company can mitigate that and facilitate cross-generation mentoring or networking. you know, would certainly benefit the organization. Each yeah. each generation has uh, strengths that it brings to the workplace, and it's about having the respect and valuing um, valuing all of that experience, okay. regardless of age. Ageism can work, you know, on the other end as well. I've had clients I was ask about that. Yeah. say they've gotten feedback that they're too young. You know, they yeah. look too young. 
I hear that all the time with the young women and young men that I work with. And then the question is, what do I do about it? How do I look older, which somehow seems inappropriate there. So what's your advice? What do people do when you're getting that feedback that you are too young? Well, um, I have had a client who definitely received that feedback that she was too young. Um, and she, at the time, she was, she wanted to move into a managing director role. She was in financial services. Um, and she just, you know, the feedback that I received from, from her direct manager was that, that she appeared to be too young. And, uh, she made a concerted effort, by the way, to change her hair, change her her wardrobe to be a little more sophisticated, be more conscious of the way um, she was speaking and communicating, and uh, that helped her to position herself as, as more uh, authoritative. Yeah. Also giving her opinion, raising her hand more, um, volunteering, um, showing up more as as a leader. Certainly all of that helped. But the superficial, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think. You can do all of the other stuff to position yourself in leadership, and uh, sometimes the superficial is what will help you get over the hump. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes just the notice that everybody notices that there's been a change can be, I find, a big factor. But then also, you know, I don't know about you, but, like, when I'm having a good hair day, I feel better about myself. (laughs) Versus the day that I just, like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, my God. So, really, the point that I'm, I'm making is that when we, you know, this is kind of dress the part. Mm-hmm. When we dress and appear more sophisticated, we begin to feel better and more confident and sophisticated. So let me ask this question. And as you said that, um, how much of this ageism, so I believe that there is an ageism, and I see it for men as well as I see it for women. Everybody mm-hmm. starts to get worried as you're approaching that either magical 55 or 60-year mark where there's an expectation about retirement, and in some companies, a mandatory retirement. So how much of this, though, is um, in our own heads where we allow ourselves to become small? to use your language from the beginning, and how much of this do you think is actually imposed on from others? Oh, well, I think it's probably uh, pretty equal. Um, I think that, first of all, with every generation, you know, we put people in categories and then we make assumptions. Mm-hmm. We make assumptions about their competency, you know, their ability, um, their social skills. So, you know, you may think of Gen Z a certain way versus boomers. Uh, we definitely put people in categories, and then companies make decisions based on those ageist assumptions very often. Um, it affects how they hire, how they recruit, how they promote, how they compensate. 
And so it's important for companies to understand what bias, you know, they may have and look at this objectively if they're trying to be more diverse and inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, that being said, uh, like I said earlier, the workplace does reflect society's bias around this. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we can certainly have those conversations when we're feeling marginalized because of our age or our, our gender uh, one-on-one. We can help the company to uh, recognize some of the assumptions that they're making and um, hopefully include ageism in some of their diversity programs, et cetera. <laughs> but it's really powerful uh, to take a look at how we hold ourselves back, and some of the assumptions we have around age, that we're too old to learn something new, or we're too old to get promoted, we're too old to be marketable, to compete in the workplace. And when we begin to, you know, when we believe this, then it changes the way we behave and the way we show up in the workplace. So it's important to recognize what those assumptions are mm-hmm. and how that affects our our behavior. Um, and I can guarantee you, if you're feeling that you're too old to be promoted, your behavior is not going to serve you. It's not going to help you um, stay viable in the workplace. Right. Because you're not going to do what you know you should do to be visible, to show up as credible, to, to get ahead. Yeah. Yeah, to make that extra push that's going to show again the yeah. ambition that we've set. Everything you know, you know, you've had, you've used your whole career to position yourself successfully. You're going to, like, let go of it because you think, yeah. well, it's not going to work anyway. You know, I'm, I'm over 55. Who's going to promote me? So, yeah. Right. I'm, our assumptions I'm are really powerful. They are pretty powerful. I think if I anything that I take out of this conversation, Bonnie, it's that notion of we have an awful lot more control ourselves over how yeah. we let the messages come in. And a lot of that comes down to looking at the assumptions that we have. I'm going to flip, though, not so much on gender, but to talk about um, older people that I encounter that are still vibrant and strong and very powerful and having a big impact. And I'm going to speak about people who are well over 60 and still having an impact in the business world today. And what I find about those people is they have this incredible curiosity about what Mm. else is going on. They don't want to become irrelevant. So it's not the notion of I'm too old to know or I don't know what that is or I don't understand what the young kids are talking about. Instead, they'll say, well, if the young kids are seeing that, then I want to see that. And if the young kids are talking about that, I want to try that out. And I want to know what that's about. And tell yeah, me what this is. So important, Wanda. And, you know, in, in this book that I'm writing now, the, I talk about the importance of a growth mindset, just yep. as you're describing it. That's right. You know, you're never too old to learn new things, to be curious, and not yep. to say that, wow, uh, you know, I'm not going to learn that new technology. Well, you know, that's not necessarily true. You can yeah. apply yourself and learn it. And by the way, research shows that that older people are are technically savvy, you know, so that blows that assumption out of the water. 
Um, it's a choice. It's called, we come back to the same thing again. It's a choice I make about how I'm going yep. to live my life. Well, okay, Bonnie, sadly, we are out of time. So, Bonnie, thank you for being a guest on the show. My guest today is Bonnie Marcus. The book, one of the books that we've been talking about is The Politics of Promotion. And Bonnie referenced that particularly in terms of looking at it as a way, to, one of the chapters is a way to understand the value that you bring. And as I said, I think what's so fascinating about this is, yes, there's also the biases that exist in our organizations, in our society, totally. But there's a lot more power each of us have as individuals to choose how we respond to that and how we let those stories impact us and impact the way we show up and impact what we have to contribute. So, Bonnie, thank you for being a guest. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, and join us next week for another episode in How to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.